This is Joe Burns. And Beth West. Hey, thank you for listening to the Rock School Radio Podcast. We think you'll learn something. Now remember, if you want to hear the show with all the music in place, go to kslu.org and stream the show live. Thursdays at 5 and Sundays at 4. It's a new show every week. Now enjoy this week's Rock School Radio Show. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Time for school. Rock school. With your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. 38% are about hooking up. I don't know what that even is. And Beth West. Every song that I absolutely love, and it goes negative. Class is in. It's the Rock School Radio Show right here on the Rock School Radio Network. My name is Joe Burns, broadcasting from the campus of Southeastern Louisiana University, where America's music is still going on it's over in the library. Going on. Run by this young lady over here. Who are you, kiddo? I'm Beth West, and we're in week five of six. Uh, it's coming to an end. It is. This yeah. is Rock Week, isn't it? It is Rock Week. That's right. It's so very you're showing exciting. rock stuff. And if I'm not mistaken, this week uh, a handsome young man is going to come and deliver a speech to your uh, your listening audience. Yes, was, uh, he is. Uh, me, isn't Dr. It? Joe yes. Burns <laughs> is coming to deliver a nice <laughs> little lecture yeah, on dimples. what makes a hit song. Which... Hey, why don't we do that as a topic today? That's a good idea. Uh, we're, we're not as dumb as we look. <laughs> what makes a hit song? See, here's the thing. So so often, when we say hit song, a lot of people think Justin Bieber and, and things like that. Oh. And you know, mm. but that's that's not what we mean. It, it's a, a popular song, right? Yeah, a song that, that that people like. And as much as you know, you you get those artists every so often that all they want to do is live in a tin can under a bridge in New Orleans. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a true blues artist. You you want to make a living at yeah, it, so you want to have popular songs. Yeah. Okay. What makes a popular song? I'm assuming that people have been pondering this for a really long time. I'm sure. I'll tell you where this came from, where the whole idea came from. Uh, A a reporter contacted me about uh, Ricky Nelson's song, Poor Little Fool. Okay. And he said, well, what do you know about it? And I, I throw out trivia here. Fill, Use this to fill up your, your story. And then he, one of the questions was, why was it a hit? You know, why was it? And, and I wrote him back. So if I knew that, man, I would be yeah, a gajillionaire. A, right, because you'd just right. be using the formula to plug in right. <laughs> So I started going online and, and looking at this. You would be amazed, or you will, because that's what we're doing today, what research has gone into how a song becomes a hit. We'll start at Rutgers University, and we'll do this for the first two breaks. Rutgers University, a couple of grad students, grabbed the Billboard book of Top 40 Hits, and they went to every top 10 hit for the last 50 years uh-huh. and analyzed them. Analyzed them how? Like Looked at their, um, looked at their uh, key signature and all that kind okay, of stuff. Okay, okay. Here's what they found. I'll just give you the first grouping, and then we'll come back and wrap it up in the second break. Okay. But 80%... Of Billboard Hot 100, number one singles, actually top 10 singles, 1960 to 2010, sung in a major key, 
Okay. An average of 135 beats per minute. Okay. They almost all follow a one, three, four chord progression. They're almost all in a four, four time signature. And they follow the verse, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus sequence structure. Okay. So with that, now, they came up with a little formula. Right. So now if you know that, I want to write a hit song. Okay. So if I go bup, 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 I have an 80% chance of writing a top 10 hit. 80%. Well, they say 80% of all Billboard top 10 singles have okay. this. Okay. I mean, maybe, maybe not. Oh, I have a lot more research, but this is where it starts. <laughs> okay. Let's begin with a song. This is the Presidents of the United States. We're not going to make it because there's a hundred <laughs> other bands that can rhyme better than us. we got lots of songs about writing songs today. It's the Presidents right here on Rock School. Coming out of the presidents here on Rock School, talking about what makes a hit song. Again, not top 40 type stuff, but top popular 10, song. Yeah. Top 10, popular top 10. song. Yeah. More things they found at Rutgers. Danceability. A song has to have danceability to get into the top 10. Now, what is that? They simply defined it as the ease by which a person can dance to a song. They stated statistically, and I don't. How did you statistically do this? Bring in people to dance? I don't know, but they say the danceability of songs steadily increased from 1963 to 2005. The statistical analysis then only increased after 2005 by a tenth of a point. So we reached the limits of right. danceability. But you can't dance anymore. <laughs> so song length. How long is a song? Well, apparently way back in the 1960s, short, 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 right. up till 1978, then generally flattened out. A hit song is about 3.5 to 4 minutes. Right. Yeah. Okay? People don't have enough time to listen to a six-minute song Right. They Well, and it, sometimes it happens. Remember, they said 80%. So well, there's of course, outliers. there's anomalies. Yeah. Gotta be. Gotta be. Loudness. In terms of loudness, increasing, but they say that may simply be the recording techniques that have allowed that to happen. Mm -hmm. There's even a fight that they talk about. If you want to search something neat, go to you know Wikipedia, I guess would do it for you, but search the internet mm -hmm. about the concept of loudness and how people are using compression and flange and phase to garner the either loudness itself or the belief or the sound of loudness oh, in recording. Conveying loudness without right. actually being, being loud. loud. Exactly. So... That's from Rutgers. Okay. Follow these points, and you have an 80% chance of writing a, a hit. hit. Yeah, good chance. Is it true? Is it? I don't know. We'll find out. After this, we're going to go to a website called Hook Theory that went into the music side of it. What chords do I use? Oh, what what I other see. things do I use? So we've got the general, the basics. Yeah, 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 the basics. Let's go look at the music. After this one, by a guy named Jeff Lewis. The song is called Songs About Songwriting Suck. <laughs> Sounds like this on Rock School. All right, coming out of Jeff Lewis about that for a song about... I love it. Yeah, I know. We're going to a place called Hook Theory right now. And if you want to find it, just simply go on Google and search Hook Theory. It comes right up. It, the site is dedicated to just this, this piece of research. 
They have done just in the same way that the Rutgers guys did. These guys did the same thing, except in terms of music. The most popular key after analyzing the choral structures of 1,300 hit songs, they found the most popular key was the key of C. C. Right. Now, okay. I know you're not a musician. I'm not, no. So I'll, I'll, I'll explain this as you know yeah, to please. someone who knows nothing. Yes. When you see music written out, a lot of people, when they'll start to write or they'll start to play, they, they consider it very important. I, I have to write in weird keys with lots of sharps and lots of flats because the more uh, structured the music is, the more hard the music is, the more it will be listened oh, to, the yeah, more it will strike. Okay, the more complex right. and the more involved people will be in listening to it. Exactly. Well, the key of C has zero sharps and flats. It's yeah. It okay. is the easiest, the easiest to listen thing. to, right? They also say a minor is is used a great deal. Well, a minor is what's known as the relative minor of C, which makes it just as easy to listen to as C. As C. And not only, I'll show you the chart right there. It is C is used twenty six percent of the time, which the, is over twice as much right. as any other. The closest to it is G, which only carries one flat. Oh, so the more complex ones right, here. fall at the end. At the look, very the, look way out here. D flat is only used seven percent, and if you're a guitarist, D flat makes you want to blow your brains out. <laughs> it drives you crazy. E and A, which I thought would be very popular, which guitar plays in yeah. E and A, eight yeah. and seven percent. But wow. C and G, which are just not that rough. Pardon me. G is one sharp. I'm an idiot. It's not. It's not one flat. It, it, people who know music went, you're an idiot. You're right. And everybody else is like, right. wait, he said something wrong. What? Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> However, when you start to look at chord use, chords are A, B, C, D, E, right? F, G. Right. When you start to look at, at, at chord use, you think, well, minors have got to be in there and all that kind of stuff. Nope. No. In these 1300 hit songs, look at the top three chords that are used. G major, F major, C major. Oh, yeah. 73 and 60% of the time. Uh-huh. People like music that is simple. They do. It's yeah. easy to listen to. Right. And the fourth chord that gets used a lot is A minor. There it is. Look, C, A minor is the relative mm -hmm. minor. Mm -hmm. And A minor, when you play C, F, and G and in terms of guitar, A minor gets used for the bridge. Well, I guess it makes sense because if a hit song is one that is played over and over and over and over. It's easy to listen and to. And if it's easy, if it's hard to listen to, it gets exhausting. I guess. I guess. And what's funny, if you play G, F, and C in the pattern, if I just simply play G, F, and C in 3, 3, 3 and play it again and uh -huh. again and again, the tonic, the, the chord you want to end up on, the chord that makes you happy to finish on, is C. Oh. Which is the most the popular, most popular key. key. Yeah, it all works out for the good of mankind, but that's what Hook Theory found out. <laughs> Easy music people like listening to. All right, I'm not sure how to pronounce this woman's last name. Sarah B-A-R-E-I-L-L-E-S is Borellis? Something, Something like, like that. that. I think yeah. we know the song. Yeah, I'm not going to write you a love uh -huh. song. Do you know why she wrote Love Song? Uh, no, I always thought it was because like for a boyfriend or something. Not at all. Her record company listened to her album and said, I don't hear a hit on there. Can you, uh, can you write us a love song? And she said no, right. and then Wrote, it was a hit. I'm not going to write you a love song. I kid you not. Here you go. It's a love song. It's Sarah right here in Oxford.
Okay, we're going into the first break a touch early on this here show all about writing hit songs because Beth's mom, that's the connection. Am I <laughs> yeah, right about yeah. that? Yeah. Beth's mom is friends with a guy by the name of Jim McCormick. Now, some of you may know the name already, but Beth, who's Jim McCormick? Jim McCormick is a singer-songwriter, and yeah, a few people, especially people in the New Orleans area, may know him as a singer uh, because he was born and raised in New Orleans, and then he moved to Nashville a few years ago. And if you don't know his name, but you are a fan of country music, then you have heard his songs. Sure. Because he has enjoyed some great success in the last few years writing hit songs for country. He actually had two number one hits cool. on the Billboard country music charts last year. It was, he wrote... Uh, Brantley Gilbert's You Don't Know Her Like I Do and Jason Aldean's Take a Little Ride. I don't know either of those songs because I don't, I don't listen to popular country, but I've asked people who do and they say, oh yeah, yeah, I know that song. So this guy has, he is a singer in his own right and he writes wonderful songs and he is really gotten some successful songs out of the mm -hmm. country music business. So you you have a contact with him, and if anyone knows how to write a hit song, a man who's written two number ones yeah, blatantly knows how to year. do it. So earlier today, you had the pleasure of jumping on the phone with him. I did. It was awesome. Right. And you got to ask him a couple questions. So let's jump to the uh, audio tape, and let's hear you talking with this guy. And his name, once again, is? Jim McCormick. Okay. Sounds like this. Hi, Jim McCormick. How are you? Hi, Beth. I'm doing well. Thank oh, you. welcome to Rock School. We're so happy to have you, and I'm so pleased that I get to talk to you about this topic. Um, happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thanks. Uh, so we are talking about what it takes to make a hit record, and last year in 2012, you had two number one songs that you wrote on the Billboard country charts. So that was a pretty successful year for you, I guess, huh? It was a good year. Yeah. It was a good year. We, 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 we like those years a lot. Uh, but, of course, you've written a lot more songs than that. So, um, what do you think it takes to make a song a hit? Well, I ask myself that every day, I guess. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, you can... There's a lot of data uh, and a lot of research that has um, come out. At least I've seen a lot of it recently. And I think that it's helpful. You know, I think that there's a lot of a lot to be gained from knowing the information about whether it's, you know, tempos or uh, how long it takes to get to the, to the, to the chorus or the, or the hook or how short an introduction to a song might be. All these kind of statistics are out there. Uh -huh. And I, I, you know, I, I see them and I think about them sometimes. I think it's good to have them in your back pocket a little bit, but I think that really like, you know, I think this is true across all genres of music. I think that it's the authentic, genuine uh, shared emotion or truth in the song that people respond to that makes them want to take ownership of the song and buy it or hear it on a on their on their streaming device or something you know I think that's the thing that keeps people coming back uh, and because all the all, there's exceptions to all the statistics there are exceptions to all the rules and I guess there are exceptions even to whether or not a song is heartfelt or genuine but you know it doesn't have to be serious when it's like that I think I think there's a lot of you know, a lot of different kinds of, of honest emotions that, that the best songs put out, whether it's, hey, I'm just here to have a great time or, or something more reflective.
Okay, coming out of the break, we have one more question that you spoke. And you spoke with yeah. GM a lot longer than we're oh, doing yeah, here. Oh, yeah, yeah. We could only but, get a little bit from it. Right, but we wanted to pluck out what we thought were the two best answers from him. I like that he referenced the statistics. Well, yeah, me right, too. And that, then, that we were yeah. plugging, right? Now, you asked him another question, but you wanted to pitch one more time where oh, right. people can get his music. Oh, yeah, because I, I mentioned that I didn't really listen to country music, popular country music, but I love Jim as a singer, and he has a brand new album. It's available exclusively on iTunes, and it's called The Middle of the River. So go on iTunes, mm-hmm. search Jim McCormick, and his new album, The Middle of the River, is just Excellent. And everybody should go on there and buy a copy of it. Superb. Let's hear one more question about writing a hit from a man who has done it at least last year twice straight to the top (laughs) of the chart. This is, uh, once again, Beth's interview with Jim McCormick. How do the lyrics, would they be the most important thing? Or do you feel that the lyrics and the actual music have to work together in order to achieve that? Yeah, no, it is definitely a double barrel approach um one does not kind of get to if one carries the other it's usually the the music and the melody carrying the lyric sometimes a a not so great lyric i think can pass when the music is extraordinary Uh, Um, yeah i think i've heard of quite a few examples of that (laughs) (laughs) but but i think you probably have a hard time doing it the other you know the the music i always kind of just personally i've always thought that, you know, for my own listening habits, the music kind of pulls me in, you know, and um, and then the lyric makes me stick around. And and that's kind of been true of, of, of the artists that I've gravitated to in my life, whose, whose work I most love is, you know, it's kind of, the music is, you know, the melodies or, or, or whatnot. And then, you know, second, sometimes it's, sometimes it's right net, right after you, 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 you're attracted by the melody or the music, you start to hear the lyric, and you're attracted by that. But they so, I think they, they more often than not, they're they're almost inseparable. And you know, it really is a sort of double barrel approach to your audience that the music and the lyric have to work in harmony when touching somebody, when affecting somebody. take a quick break from what makes a hit do seven days and 70 seconds but uh, i gotta tell you i listened to the entire thing the entire um interview you did with jim mccormick and it's amazing to me asking somebody about how they perform their craft Uh and it's it's one of these things where i'll make you bet he if he was honest he would probably say i don't know i just write songs (laughs) same thing with the beatles you say you would you would ask them how do you do this and they would say we just write songs it's hard to really quantify art right which music is i just do it it's what i do yeah and i you know as much as i would like to say well anyone can do this no i do think you're actually born you oh yeah you can either can or you can't yes i definitely think so i've written songs and i gotta tell you what they ain't getting played on this radio station (laughs) All right, bottom of the hour, time for 7 Days and 70 Seconds. My name is Joe Burns. I'm Beth West. All right, these dates, March 18th all the way through March 24th. Beth has Monday, do it. Monday, March 18th, 1994, the city of Kenner, Louisiana, names a street in honor of local legend Lloyd Price, singer of Laudy Miss Claudie. That's right, March 19th, 1985, Spin Magazine begins publishing. 
March 20th, 1948, the first televised concert takes place. It featured Eugene Ormandy and the Philadelphia Symphony Orchestra. Who is that? Yeah, I know. You kind of wish it would have been rock and roll. Yeah, but, I wish. Uh, well, 48. I, I understand they played Smoke on the Water. Though. <laughs> that was, they, they did, yeah, yeah, they did. I'm yeah. sure. I've heard that. March 21st, 1952, what many believe to be the very first rock concert, the Moondog Coronation Ball takes place. Cleveland, Ohio. March 22nd, 1987, Marilyn Manson stopped a show in Honolulu, Hawaii after falling from the stage and severing an artery in his hand. Fans yeah. cheered thinking it was part of the show. I or probably would have too. I, mean, I, I would have cheered thinking it wasn't part <laughs> of the show. March 23rd, 1999 in Gibraltar, a set of postage stamps are released commemorating what would have been the 30th wedding anniversary of John and Yoko Lennon. And finally, March 24th, 1998, Amway, we talked about copyright a little while ago. Yep. Listen to this. Amway pays over $9 million in fines to settle copyright lawsuits brought by a bunch of artists after it was found that the company had used their songs in their videotapes, sales pitches, without gaining permission or paying royalties. Don't do they that. Got in trouble. Don't do that. <laughs> you kids who think, oh, I'll just use the song. Think, could, yeah. think Amway. <laughs> From the website, Hit Songs Deconstructed, Jim was no. talking about the statistics and all yeah, of that. Yeah, he started about with the quantitative, but he quickly moved to the qualitative, he did. I think. I'll, I'll give you a few more. Okay, uh, it says it. here, from Hit Songs Deconstructed, the vast majority of intros are short. Uh, it says here most of them 19 seconds before getting to the getting to the words. You talked to him about, is it the words or the music? Yeah. He said it was a symbiotic relationship. But this also suggests you better get to the words quick. Well, and you, a lot of times you'll have a song. I'm thinking of a Death Cab for Cutie song mm -hmm. where the intro of the regular song is like two minutes long. But of course, they have a radio edit. And that's what quick. made it right. yeah, a hit. The average time to get to the chorus, 39 seconds. Uh, have you ever read the Aerosmith biography? The, no. The very first one? It. it there's a, a rule that Aerosmith used when they were writing songs, especially earlier in their career. Don't goof around. They use a different word than goof, but yeah. don't goof around. Get to the chorus. Well, and it worked. Yeah. They have had a whole lot of hit songs. A whole lot of hits. Here's one you wanted to hear. It's Foreigner. Jukebox hero. <laughs> how long? Count the seconds. How many seconds until they sing and how many seconds before the chorus? <laughs> Sounds like this on Rock School. Standing in the rain with his head hung low. All right, second break here on Rock School, and uh, we have got to do all the affiliates because yeah, we don't want them to feel neglected. Yeah, or get upset and leave us. No, so. don't leave us. We love you. Yeah, we do. Well, I do. Um, <laughs> from <laughs> from hit songs deconstructed. Uh, some more stuff here. Uh, primary instrumentation. It says here now, seventy nine percent of all hit palm buh, 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 hit songs have electronic instruments. Apparently, people don't like acoustic, acoustic instruments yeah harder to dance to yeah the gap between male and female lead vocalists have also changed as well it used to be that male vocalists just simply led the pack yeah but now it's almost 50 50 male female so it awesome. doesn't matter yeah now you can have a hit with a, a woman singing as easily as a man and uh, lyrical themes visualized listen to this this also seems odd to me According to the website, love and relationship themed songs have been in a steep decline 
It seems now they really? only account for 17% of pop songs. Okay, so what does account for the to top songs? It says here 38% are about hooking up. I don't know what that even is. Do you know? You're younger than me. Okay, is well, that relationship type stuff, but what is it? It's relations without the relationship. Oh, with benefits type stuff. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. And it says also inspirational themed songs. You know, you I can believe do it. I could fly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That uh, is in second place with 25%. So. Huh. And that's the end of the statistics. We have other neat things to talk about, but that's the end of the statistics. People just breaking down songs to tell you what to do. So Very interesting. I guess. Let's start. I'll do two, then you wrap them up. Okay. Ready. KLSU Radio out in Baton Rouge. Thank you. Radio Universidad in Salamanca, Spain. Thank you. Who else? KSCL in Shreveport. Thank you very much. KPVL in Postville, Iowa. Our newbies. Thank you. And WBSD in Burlington, Wisconsin. We Rock love you. Rock and roll. Back in a minute on Rock School. Okay, coming out of the break. We're done with statistics. Yay! I know. I know. <laughs> Brain regions. Okay, All right, lay it on me. Yep, ready. Emory University. Okay, couple people, Gregory Burns, B-E-R-N-S, and a few other people. Study's going to be published in the Journal of Consumer Psychology. Okay, they found this out by accident. Seems here that they were doing a, a, a piece of research on the effects of popular opinion on adolescent preferences. And they decided to use 120 songs by unsigned artists on MySpace. Okay. Okay. They were hoping that the, the people had not heard of any of the right. artists before. Okay. Right. Now, they were trying, all the kids were 12 to 17. They tried to figure out which ones they would choose, but what they found when they started playing the songs for them, when they looked, when they cross-checked it, the songs against which songs then sold 20,000 units, they found that 90% of the songs that sold 20,000 units had a different brain activity area than the songs that didn't sell 20,000 units. Okay, and the... Right, the, which, active, which, yeah, area which area, area was it? <laughs> right. The one for reward, i.e., you've done something good, here you go, kid. Oh. So you, when you hear a hit, it's as if you're rewarding yourself with a good piece of music with a oh yeah. wow interesting when you get in the car and you decide to choose whatever piece of music you want you are rewarding yourself with something that feels yeah. good so that's what oh. these people say now the question is will i don't know why they wouldn't but will record companies go that far to buy MRIs and <laughs> run music. I'm dead serious. And to run kids underneath this thing to see if the reward part of the brain pops open to the new Adele song. I think that probably MRI machines will have to get cheaper and they will. the record companies will probably have to get even more desperate than they already are to Entirely sell records. <laughs> yeah. I think Blues Traveler has it correct. I think the hook brings you back right here in Rock School. Talking about what makes a song a hit. You familiar with the journal Science? I am, yes. Ah, yes, you are. As librarian, you librarian, I am. You librarian, you. <laughs> okay. 
According to study co-author Matthew S-A-L-G-A-N-I-K, Salganik. I think it's probably close. Okay, yeah. Columbia University. This will be in, in fact, it's already been in. It's within the February issue of Science. Okay. 4,341 participants, teen kids, went to the teen website. Here's what they did. They created something called the Brittany effect, as in Brittany Brittany Spears. Spears. Right. Here's what they did. They took the kids and they broke them into groups. One group had no contact with anybody else. Okay. Okay. And another group over here could see what other kids were choosing. Okay. Okay. The group that had no contact with anybody else, they couldn't see what anyone else was choosing. They were given a group of songs to choose from. Uh-huh. Same songs over here with the group that could see. The group that could not see what anyone else was choosing did not have a clear winner song. Just okay, individual tastes varied. Right. right. So there was no clear statistical winner. However, in the group where they actually it was multiple groups, but generally the same thing happened in every group. The kids who could see what other kids were choosing, eventually leaders formed. And the choices got pared down. Like they had tastemakers. Right. And it was found, they call it the Britney effect, because it was found that people just don't like a lot of choices. And if they could find someone to pare down the choices for them, they would be happy. Yeah, I've heard of this theory Mm -hmm. that too many choices are... Worse than having too few choices sometimes. Right. Which is why small menus work better than large menus with yeah. lots of choices. Well, they call it the Britney effect because, as they say, Britney may be bad music, but when all the choices were paired away, she was what was left. Huh. And so that's why she became the hit. So they say the Britney effect works. They also sometimes call it the bandwagon effect. Yeah. He likes it, thus I like it because I trust his opinion. It's, I guess that yeah. happens in a lot of different areas. If you can get the right person to like it, you can have a hit song. That's true. Right. But you also have to follow all those statistics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Here's Joan Jett. I love rock and roll. Right next to Okay, last break here on Rock School. Beth and I got one more thing to hear talk you about. Score a hit. Look, you got to go to this website. If you give a care at all about what makes a song a hit, go go to Google okay. and look it up. Score a hit. Score a hit. Right. Here's what this group of graduate students and professors did. They went and took every single part of the anatomy of a song and turned it into a statistical derivation. Okay. Then all these little derivations, sort of FX as they called it, Mm FX plus FX plus FX plus FX, all these different things. And you'll see when you arrive at it, it shows the cloud of what they consider the most important, like tempo's big, but key signature is not big. Oh, it's like a word cloud of of what makes a song. And then they show you statistically on this little animation of how these things were very wide in the 50s. And then in the 70s, they began to come together and clean up. It's really neat. What's really, 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 really neat is this thing is now an app. However, it's not downloadable to your phone yet. 
I don't cool. believe it is. It hasn't been to this point. But if you give them your email address, uh-huh. they will send you to a, a site that's set up just for you. I'm sure a computer does it. Yeah, yeah. But you get 100 plays. And you get to put in either a song that exists in Billboard's Top 40 or you get to put in your, an MP3 like of your, your own yeah. song. Oh. And it shows you on the side like a, a thermometer, a little ball at the bottom. And then the higher it goes, the closer it is to a hit. So you oh put in gosh. Jump by Van Halen and it boom goes yeah. through the roof. Yeah. You put in some nothing song that only made the top 40. And it only goes up a little bit because it runs the statistical and then inference you put on in the song. every song that I absolutely love and it goes negative. Right. <laughs> But it has to know the song unless you give it the MP3. Unless you give it the MP3. If it's okay. a top 40 song, it knows it. Okay. If it doesn't, you have to give it the MP3. But it's called Score a Hit. And at this this get-together that uh, that I'm doing, I have attached to it. Now, I have internet at the... Ooh. Oh, yeah, yes, internet of course, at the, of course. Okay, okay, good enough. Yeah, score a hit. You'll really dig it. That is so cool. To explain it past that, I can't. No. Don't yeah. know the statistics. But to watch it work, super-duper neat. So, there you go. You want to write a hit? Now you know all the things except what to write about. Yeah, now uh-huh. all you need is talent. Now all you need is talent. <laughs> Where do you buy that? Is that available? I don't Wendy's? know. I think they sell it through the iTunes store. Yeah. Too? Can you download that? Let's see if I can get it for free. I'm Joe Burns. I'm Beth West. Hey, let's go get money for nothing. Star Straits wraps us up. Glasses dismissed.